I am so excited to tell you about this week's guest on the Road Trip Playlist podcast. I had the opportunity to talk with Michael Grubbs, who you may know by the name of Wakey Wakey. I first discovered him when I was in high school at 2 a.m. on a school night, um, partaking in my first ever binge watch um, of One Tree Hill in my basement. So I literally still remember where I was the first time I watched that episode and heard his music. And I've been listening to Wakey Wakey ever since. I dreamed of going to a Wakey Wakey concert, but could never kind of find when he was on tour. Then when I moved to New York, the very like third week I was there, he had a show. So I went by myself, and then he would do shows just about quarterly in New York, and I wouldn't miss a night there at Rockwood City Music Hall. It was amazing to get to talk to him. He told incredible stories of the music scene in New York as he was coming up, and including open mic nights where he would frequent with other artists like Regina Spector and Kevin DeGraw. We talked about how he first got cast into One Tree Hill, and it is an amazing and funny story. He told me all about his latest project, Cheap Synths, a band he started with friends. They are releasing a new song every Friday of 2020, so be sure to check out some of their work. And stay tuned for my interview with Wakey Wakey after a quick word from our sponsor. Okay, we are recording. Um, I'm really glad to be talking to you on Zoom. Maybe it's just because I'm more nervous because I, I have to tell you, this is a big deal for me. Um, I've loved you since high school and I moved to New York a few years back and one of the very first shows I saw was you at Rockwood. It was my first week in New York. I knew absolutely nobody um, except for the people that, that I was living with and they were still kind of strangers at the time too. Um, and your show was the first sense of like something familiar when I moved to New York. And so I just have to thank you because then I became part of that like quarterly Rockwood club for Wakey Wakey. Oh, that's so cool, man. I love that. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. That's really <laughs> no, thanks for, thanks for sharing your time. Um, how are you doing? How have things been for you? I, um, what is things like in during a pandemic as, as an artist? It's, you know, honestly, it, in ways, it's not much different from everyday life because I spend so much time sequestered um, making music and stuff. Um, but, but for this, you know, also the, um, I, I do a lot of collaborations with music and the people that I collaborate with now, we've had to learn to do that over Zoom, which is a very different writing process, which has been cool. And honestly, now I feel pretty fluent at it. So it's like, now I don't really have to leave my house at all. Um, so <laughs> thanks. <laughs> thanks, lockdown. <laughs> um, I first wanted to talk to you about one of your newest projects. I, I spoke with you about those Rockwood shows and mm -hmm. I remember you coming to one of those. Um, I don't think I missed any of those. Um, um, I remember you coming to one after you filmed a video with, with and told us that you hinted at this new project and with it being cheap, you didn't say the name, but I assume now mm -hmm. that it's cheap since that you were talking about. And so yeah. I wanted to talk to you about, about that group and this project um, and you guys are releasing a new single every Friday of 2020. How did, how did this project come to be? Well, you know, I think a lot of ways it was a reaction to Wakey Wakey for me because I, I kind of never intended on making one style of music for my whole life. I was raised in like a very wide, you know, swath of things from, um, you know, and, and, and I came to love so many different genres of music. 
um, that I really wanted to be able to experiment with all of them and, and work in all of them. So with the Wakey Wakey moniker, it was hard to do that because I think a lot of people really, uh, the Almost Everything album, I know a lot of people really deeply connected with. Um, and the people that are like, you know, hardcore fans, I think a lot of them really love that sound and want me to continue making stuff in that sound, which I completely understand. I There's artists that I love that make an album that sounds different. And I'm like, what happened here? <laughs> um, so, you know, I get it. I'm not, you know, shocked or upset about it. Um, but I always wanted to be able to just freely make music in any genre that I want. So I... I ended up doing a session with this guy, Danny Ross, who is um, a really talented producer. And he's someone I'd known from back in the day. I didn't really think, you know, I thought we were just gonna write a song together. And uh, I was in a bad mood when I went to the co-write <laughs> at his house. Um, and uh, I think he was like, all right, let's write a pop song. And I was like, I don't wanna do that. Like, I, I don't feel like writing that today. I wanna write something like fun and angry and weird. Um, and he was like, okay cool let's do it and we ended up making this song that was super awesome called baby caught lonely and we uh -huh. were like wow this is like this is probably like you know the my favorite thing i've made in a while so then we were like let's do it again next week and see what happens and then we said let's do it again and do it again and do it again next thing you know it kind of evolved into cheap sense um which was really cool because um it's really it's really freeing for me to to work in this kind of way and i think that the creative mind in a lot a lot of ways is like the more that you get out of its way, the better it runs. You know what I mean? Like the more you let it do what it wants to, the more exciting things it tends to do. <laughs> Definitely. And all of the songs are super exciting. I made a note. I, I personally love Diet Dr. Pepper. I recently converted to Diet Dr. Pepper. And, and, <laughs> and I, I'm hoping I get that body like Diet Dr. Pepper said. <laughs> That's so funny. We were, um, I, a lot of times will ask my, my partner, like, am I allowed to write this? Like, is this too crazy of a lyric? It's the, the opening line to that song is my boot my booze got a body like diet Dr. Pepper, which is <laughs> something I just probably never thought that I would write, especially when I was, you know, doing early wakey wakey stuff. I never thought I'd be, you know, saying that kind of stuff, but it's like, honestly, the way that we talk, it's the way that my friends and I communicate. So I feel like it's more honest for me to write songs in that style. You know, yeah, how, how freeing has it been? I mentioned that you, you have been releasing a new song every week this year. How freeing has cheap since been for you? I, it's like a whole other world. And the other thing that's been really fun with, um, you know, with the the lockdown and me being forced to work from home is that I've, like, for the longest time, I considered myself like a, a non-computer artist where there's all, there's different kinds of people in writing sessions. Like usually there's a guy like me that does top line, which is like the melody and the lyrics of the song. And then there's a trap guy and he basically sits at the computer and makes all the sounds and everything. Um, and I was always like, I don't touch computers. I don't know how computers work. I hate computers. I don't ever want to like do anything with them. And I, I honestly like have lived the majority of my life completely computer ignorant. Um, like, um, like I know how to work my phone really well, but that's it. Um, but this has forced me to learn how to work in logic so that I can do these sessions with people. And honestly, it's like, I found a whole new, it's like a whole new video game. You know what I mean? Like that's so like every time i get a brand new sound or a brand new texture to write with it's like a new color of paint you know or something so that to, to have this ability to um you know to work in logic and do these this stuff it's like it's really um 
it's freed me in, in ways I don't know. Like now, for instance, I've started making classical music. So, um, or or symphonic music, I should say, not classical. Wow. Um, so I just got all these crazy string libraries and and stuff. So, um, and it's like, for me, when I was a kid, like I think everyone's got their own weird thing that they do in their room as a kid. And my thing that I would do is I would pretend that I was a conductor and I would <laughs> I would conduct John Williams scores. And I knew every single like trumpet entrance, every single <laughs> clarinet <laughs> swirl, every single woodwind flare, like all of it. And I would literally be in my room and pretend that I was conducting, you know, John Williams. So now to be able to make music in that style um, and have it be pretty real sounding, I mean, it's like, I don't know. It's a, every every day, some new thing opens up to me, and I'm like, I, I feel like a kid in a candy store <laughs> that, right now. That that is fascinating, and I know I, that's something I wanted to touch on. So it's interesting hearing from such an early age that you were kind of this this maestro um, leading the music <laughs> in, in in your bedroom. Um, yeah. <laughs> you 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 came from you came from a very musical family and classical music was a big part of that background. Did you always know that you wanted to do something with music? Like, was this a big plan or did it? How did this happen? I mean, I think it was kind of by. Uh, I I think there definitely was like um I definitely was like kind of born into it. You know what I mean? Because of the way that my family like music was really a way of communicating for us. And I think music is a language. So like the earlier in your life that you learn it, the more fluency you'll have. Um, and I was lucky to start playing piano when I was five, you know, and I was lucky to have like sight reading, like as a, a really important thing in our family. So like when we would go on vacation, we would like sing license plates, you know, like you know, see the numbers of the license plate. My dad would be like, do that one, one, five, four. I'd be like, one, five, four. Um, and that was our like road trip game. So like music was just like everywhere all the time. Um, and there was a point where I went to, um, so there was a thing called the governor's school for the performing arts, um, which was really, uh, like the big honor. Everybody wanted to go there. And I got really lucky and got sent for, um, for voice performance to that. Um, and I like had this, like, uh, a two week deeply romantic fling with a person that worked in theater and decided that I was going to become a theater actor uh, <laughs> because of them. So I told my mom I wanted to go to school and study theater. And she said that she would help me, um, you know, like help support me during the school process. Uh, but only if I did, only if I studied music, uh, <laughs> which is why I think like a lot of people here, they're like, yeah, if you're a lawyer, I'll help you pay for it. My mom was like, like, you know, the only thing you really are are going to be able to do is probably music <laughs> knowing me in my brain so um so i ended up studying musical theater so i got a degree in both which was really fun and cool as well and helpful because now i've also been writing musicals so it's like really yeah uh-huh so wow. that's like an, another fun you know uh fun project right now that's uh, incredible yeah so all of it kind of like worked together in accidental ways but it's funny because I think everything I've done in my life in some way has been like a derivative of the music theater education that I got, you know, when I did like the acting stuff with One Tree Hill, that was all like the acting stuff from college was incredibly helpful when wow. I, when I went through that process and then all the different music stuff and just like the confidence from being in a big group of nerds trying to do nerd stuff together. And, you know what I mean? like, <laughs> it's, it's awesome. Like it, it really all pays off at some point that that's so cool and so you talked about piano from early on 
all of my friends I knew that played the piano hated the piano. I wanted to know, like, you are brilliant with the piano. And those were some of the highlights of my time um, at Rockwood and seeing things like I'm currently back in Utah, but I miss those nights and those feelings and things that you created while like seated at the piano. Um, did you always love the piano or was there a time where you also like didn't want to keep doing it? I think I had three major stages with the piano. Um, when I was a kid, I obviously like took lessons and I really, really, really loved it. Like I, for me, it was like a crazy escape. It was something I like would pour myself into. And it got to a place where my mom would reward me with playing the piano if I got my homework done. So it's like, if you do all your homework, you can play the piano for two hours. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was crazy. And like, so I was, so I, I played all the time. And it, for me, it was always like this, um, like a, a study of just like the expression, like how to get the most expression out of playing. Like, I remember playing like dumb, like the stupid stuff from like the book number one and feeling on the verge of tears as I figured out how to put so much expression into three blind mice, you know? <laughs> like, it's funny because like, I'm not, I'm probably the worst technical musician that I, that I know. Like I don't, I, I'm very, I'm very sloppy on every single instrument that I play, but <laughs> I know a lot about music, so I can usually kind of work it out. Um, yeah. So anyway, so I played all that time. And then I think around like 12, 13, I was like, this is dumb. I don't like this instrument anymore. I don't know if someone made fun of me at school or something or what. And I decided I wanted to learn to play the guitar. So then I told my mom I was going to quit piano lessons, which was like the worst thing I could have told her. I might as well, you know, like, I don't know, like crush her. Um, and I got a, I found a guitar at my um, grandparents' house that had like belonged to my dad a long time ago. And I was like, I'm just going to learn to play the guitar. And I think it was like a privacy issue because when you play piano in a house, everybody in the house hears you play every uh -huh. single note. There's no privacy. And you can kind of take a guitar out into a field and just strum it and no one will hear it. So yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to learn to play guitar. So for a couple of years, I played guitar. And then um, at my church, like they needed a, a someone to play piano for a youth group. And I was like, oh, I know how to play a little bit. And so they showed me you know, they were like, oh, we'll play this. And I played it and they were like, you're really good at this. <laughs> they were like, you should do this. So I was like, oh, wow, I'm good at something. I need to focus on that. So then I started playing again. And from then on, it was like me and piano have, have kind of been like a, a daily hang ever since that. <laughs> daily hang, I love. See, yeah. I, I, uh, my friends always dissuaded me because they all hated it. And so I've made a goal that once I have kids and I force them to do piano lessons, that hopefully they'll like it a little bit more because I'll be going with them and they'll probably be better than me. <laughs> That's great. You should also, maybe you, maybe you should do a thing where you like reverse, uh, reverse it and be like, Oh guys, that's, that's a thing for adults. You're not allowed to touch it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Make them feel like it's like they're breaking the rules by playing the piano and they're so cool, you know, then they'll super get into it. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I wanted to talk to you. You talked a little bit about once you went off to, to school. I wanted to talk to you about how college I read was the first time that you really started being introduced to pop music. And what yeah. was that time like for you? It was crazy. I mean, when I, you know, my family is deeply religious, which I have a, you know, I 
is not as much a part of my life anymore, but I've got a great respect for, for them and the way that they, you know, that they live. My sister's a, a super amazing pastor, like a head pastor of a church in Virginia, which is wow. like incredible. I'm so proud of her. Um, but the, uh, you know, uh, that, what that meant in our household is that I was only really exposed to classical music, um, to super old pop music, you know what I mean? And to, um, religious music. So, uh, I didn't hear a lot of hip hop or a lot of, you know, like, I remember like, you know, it's kind of ruined now because the whole Michael Jackson thing, but I, I remember listening to Thriller. I was at the pastor's the pastor of our church, me and his son snuck under, laid under the bed with headphones and listened to Thriller for the first time. And we're like, <laughs> what is this? Like, wow. Like, you know, and I, my other friend Gabe would play me like hip hop stuff. And I remember I got this hip hop album. I got Third Base was, uh, was the artist. Um, and they have an album called The Gas Face. And I, he lent me that tape and I would, <laughs> I listened to it so much. I to this day I know every word to the Gas Face album. Um, <laughs> but we were, I would listen to it in the car on the way to school. My mom taught at the school that I went to, so I would be in the front seat with her riding to school, and I would have my headphones on and that tape in. But I would have the volume all the way down to where I could barely hear it because I was so afraid <laughs> that she would hear that I was listening to rap music and take the tape away, and I wouldn't have it anymore. <laughs> so, so anyway, that's a, I tend to go on tangents. Sorry about that. Um, no, that's amazing. But, uh, so then when I got to college, it was like all the music was available, you know, like all like anything that I could get my hands on to me, you know, it was like pop music was like this, like forbidden fruit. So obviously I wanted all of it that I could get. Unfortunately, in Virginia at that time, that basically meant like a lot of Dave Matthews band um, <laughs> and a lot of like, you know, like, like stuff like that. It wasn't, you know, we had some Nirvana, um, but it was like music was pretty, um, you know, it wasn't as uh, it, it was pretty basic, I guess. Um, then, I, you know, I moved to New York and it was like, all right, now I'm going to find cool music like I'm gonna figure <laughs> out where the cool music is and what cool music is and then it was like I started to find like the rapture and like you know more edgy bands that were like really like exciting to me you know yeah um, then I moved to the Lower East Side in the early 2000s and it was like I was in the center of a ticking time bomb like it was the best thing in the world <laughs> wow um that, that was actually my next question I told you how how you were instrumental in me kind of getting like I you were the first thing I ever I think the first show I ever wrote about um when I first moved to New York I applied for literally any job that was hiring on Indeed um because I didn't have a plan when I moved there and I'm like, <laughs> something for an excuse on why I moved across the country without a plan and I need I gave myself three weeks to find something and make money and so yeah. I started writing one of the things was writing about music I was like no way they're gonna take me um I went on a I went on a two year mission for my church and literally forgot everything that there was to do with writing styles and writing rules, mm -hmm. and so I'm like, oh, this is going to be terrible. But anyway, so the I went to your show at Rockwood, and that was a big part of my early music scene. And then starting, I lived at Rockwood after that, and just every night was music for me. 
Um, I read that you kind of were bouncing, bouncing around different music scenes in New York. What was, how would you describe that time as you were also discovering the music you wanted to make? I mean, it was like, it was honestly like, it was so hard. And it was so like, cause we, at the time, the only way that it was like practical to live in New York was to bartend like more than anyone should have to bartend. Uh, <laughs> and so I was like on my feet as a bartender, like 24 seven. And it was like crazy, but it was this thing where I, I knew like, it was so important to me to like find this thing that I would finish my shift and then like, you know, figure it out. Like if I had a night off, I was at a club or a, a venue figuring it out, you know, finding the music. There was this place, uh, it's still there maybe called Mercury Lounge. Um, oh yeah, it's still there. Yeah. I mean, like it was, it's such a like classic spot. And I remember I realized after a while that like, all the cool bands played there like that was like <laughs> all the big like like all the big music blogs were like writing about shows at mercury lounge and it was the place and i was like i'm gonna figure this bar out so i went in there with my bartender brain on because it's like you make friends with the bartender you're good pretty much anywhere um so i went in and it was this dude dennis who's like a classic lower east side bartender and uh i was like i'm just gonna go there every single night that i have off and like chat up the bartender and figure it out so I went, ended up making friends with the dude. And then like, after a couple of weeks, I remember I went in there and he was like, you got to get in the back room for this next band. He's like, you got to see this next band. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, what's their story? He was like, it's just a dude on drums and a dude playing guitar. And it's going to be the biggest thing in the world. Like, he's like, you won't believe it. And I was like, okay. So I went back there and there's like literally maybe like 30 people in the room. And this guy came out and played guitar and it was just a guitar and a drummer. And it was this soul music and it was the coolest thing in the world. And it was the Black Keys, like their, their first time playing in, or their second time playing in New York. Oh my um, gosh. And, and it was like the craziest thing in the world. I went to the merch table afterward and freaking Pat standing there. And I'm like, I'm starstruck by this person that I have no idea who they are, but they were so good. I was just like, whoa. And I was like, man, I got to buy your CD. Because it was that long ago that we bought CDs at shows. <laughs> I was like, I got to buy your CD. And he was like, man, I would love to sell you one. We sold out at the second show on this tour. And I was like, yeah, you did. You guys rule. Um, give me a t-shirt. And I still have the t-shirt. <laughs> oh <laughs> I just wanted gosh. to support them. And it was like, things like that happen all the time. Like, there was uh, this bar on uh, called uh, The Sidewalk. Um that was at 6th Street and Avenue A. I don't know if it's still there or not either. Um, but there was an open mic in the back room run by this dude named Latch, um, who was like just notoriously kind of catty bitchy to everyone. <laughs> and you, if you wanted to play at the open mic, there were so many people that would play there. You would have to go sign up at 7 o'clock. And you would be lucky if you didn't know anyone and it was your first time there, you will be lucky to go on at like 3.30 a.m. And it was like his way of kind of like finding out if you were serious, you know what I mean? Like, um, and like I, I went and I, it was like the most terrifying place in the world to me. I was so scared of it all. Cause I'm like, they're gonna know that I'm just this like, this fraud with a music theater background, you know what I mean? And there's all these like punks in there. And I was like, I'm just not cool enough to be here. 
And, uh, I, you know, I sat and I wait and I got up and played and I was like shaking, like trembling. I played this guitar song because I knew that the piano wasn't cool enough for this place. Uh, <laughs> you had to play guitar. Obviously, I was completely wrong. Um, and I played and he was like, yo, um, you want to do a show here? And I was like, hell yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I didn't know any songs on guitar, but I was like, I'll figure it out. <laughs> um, and that club went on to be like, I you know, met like Regina Spector and Kimya Dawson and Gavin DeGraw and like all these different kind of artists that were, you know, Toby from the, the Moldy Peaches and like all these different, you know, crazy future important artists kind of came through there. So like seeing, like, I remember seeing Regina Spector like sit at the piano with a drumstick and play like one note at a time and bang on the stool with the drumstick <laughs> and being like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like you can make music really sparse. And then I saw people do crazy virtuosic things. And I was like, you can be good at piano and it's cool. And, you know, like, wow. Uh, it was just like all these, you know, all these things that kind of figure out. So that was kind of fundamental. So those two venues were like, I think the stories of those kind of some of what it's like at the beginning. Yeah, that's incredible to hear in places. Yeah, you saw Regina Spector and the Black Keys when, when no one really knew who they were. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, and and that's what that's what really there's so many opportunities like that in New York and I love that you were so open to different genres and really finding those things out and you've also carried that in the music that you create as we talked about with Cheap Sense and and also your different albums range from um, they're very artistic in their approach and they range from um, different genres with each and you mentioned that a little bit at the beginning but how is it that you approach um, bringing in those different elements to each album and, and project you do? It really depends I mean to me like the majority of the music comes to me kind of like I kind of know what it is the minute that it gets like that it kind of crystallizes in my brain you know so like I, I'll hear a line like you know, last week, like the Diet Dr. Pepper song, right? Like that that song started off like, okay, this line is like super fun. Um, so I was like, we should make the song really fun and like, you know, kind of go with that and explore that. Like it should have more of like a, a cool, you know, vibe to it. Or then there'll be a song like, you know, Car Crash song where it's like, okay, obviously this needs to be cinematic in its yeah. approach, you know, it needs to start like very sparse piano and grow to more symphonic heights, you know? Yeah. Um, so basically just like, you, you never know where they're gonna, you know, what's gonna come to my head the next day. The other thing that I fight with every single day is the idea of like appropriation of music. Cause the, the music that is my culture here in Brooklyn is is very, very widespread. It's tastes of everything. And I want to put everything into music. So I'm always kind of second guessing myself being like, I never want to like appropriate something from someone, but I always want to celebrate all these different sounds. Um, and I think I always kind of walk on a tightrope being like, man, I hope I don't fall. I'm sure one of these days I will and I'll get shit for it. But I guess when the day comes, it comes. <laughs> Interesting. Um, that's so interesting. And I love, I love all the sounds that you do incorporate. And you talked about the cinematic, like symphonic type thing with, um, with car crash. And you do that in a lot of your songs with, um, putting like orchestral elements in, um, has that always been something? Is that, does that come from your classical background? Probably. I think I, I always loved, um, the strings. Like I, I always just thought there's things that you can do with strings. Like, it's just the closest thing to a human vocal cord, you know? And yeah. so it, it, uh, it resonates in humans such in such a way that's like, 
so cool, you know. Um, so it's, I've always really gravitated toward them. I also just grew up a, a you know, a, a brass and strings nerd. Like I played French horn in high school and, um, you know, was always around like playing in symphonies and, and being in different symphonic settings. So it was always something that was like, to me, had a natural place in, in music. Huh, that's amazing. And um, I have I have the question, I asked the same question to start every interview and I didn't do it with you, um, but I wanna ask you now, because this is called the Road Trip Playlist Podcast, it comes from, from my time falling in love with music was when I was making all these different playlists to go on. Um, I was going on road trips every month. And so I like to ask artists what's on what, who's on their road trip playlist. Hmm, man. It's like, it's, it's so hard to break it down to one thing because I have (laughs) so many different kind of like, uh, sidesteps. I think I've, um, I don't know. There's like really cool modern bands, like, like jungle and like, uh, oh, yeah. King Gizzard and Lizard Wizard or like, um, you know, Wolf Alice or Link Ray, they kind of like throw it back to older sounds. And I think that stuff is always really good for, you know, for road, for, you know, road trips or whatever. Um, I can always throw on some PJ Harvey and be happy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, bands like Sons, I think Sons, um, you know, they have a, a song that's kind of old now called 2020, but every time I hear it, I'm just like, this is the coolest, the coolest thing in the world. Like I'll never be cool enough to make this music. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. That's a, that's a great list. Jungles bit jungle will get you through a road trip, get you through oh. like the boring hours of like driving through like desert. It's like those people have fueled a lot of road trips for me. Yeah. But I also like, I've got a real like modern hip hop thing. So like, don't like, you know, I, I love the guilty pleasure, like the baby and like, you know, like Danny Brown or like even <laughs> Travis Scott, like, you know, I have like, um, yeah, I have a pretty big like modern hip hop collection on vinyl, which I think a lot of people would, might be surprised to know, you know, that, 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 you know, that I have those albums on, on vinyl, but you know, That's it's amazing. like, yeah, I look like Astro World on, on, you know, but if I throw it on like my, my, you know, throw the vinyl on it's like it's mixed so impeccably it sounds amazing it's so much fun wow. to like put that stuff on and just like bop in the backyard <laughs> you okay. know i'm gonna have like, to try that it's really fun it's really fun get your grill on you know <laughs> i love it um and and then i have to ask i told you i've been a fan since high school that came luckily like like many songs many things for music with me one tree hill was one of the first introductions to me finding music that I liked and, and you, I was instantly moved by from like the second you played the piano on it. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, I know, I know it came like similarly, you talked about an open mic night. I know a creator saw you at an open mic night, but just how exactly did they approach you? And, and did you know much about the show when you first um, were cast? So One Tree Hill was like pretty ever present when it like first came on the air. You know what I mean? Like it was like a major, like there it was constantly, you know, playing. Like there was always ads for it and everything. It was like a big show. I felt like, um, but I never really got into it because, I, it, for the main reason of that, like I didn't really watch TV. Um, I yeah, were you living own. in New York? Yeah, at that point it was probably like 
right after I moved to the Lower East Side. And we, um, you know, before that, I think when we moved to the Lower East Side, like after like a year, we decided to get cable, which was like a crazy decision because without cable, like you couldn't really watch anything. Yeah. Um, so I hadn't had TV in like years. And I remember putting it on and being like, man, this looks weird. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like all everything looks so cheap, you know, <laughs> like all the ads and everything. Um, but uh, yeah, so like I, I definitely knew what it was. And also I had absolutely heard about all the artists, you know, kind of like having that as a launch, uh, you know, a place like Ingrid Michaelson, like the way that music, that television shows like broke her career is just so amazing for her. I'm so happy for her that, yeah. you know, she had that experience, um, you know, and like Gavin is someone who we like, he and I kind of floated around each other for years in New York. Um, and we never really like hung out. We weren't like boys or anything, but like, I, I definitely was like, that's a, that dude's talented. Um, and, uh, so when he got the opening to it, we were all like, fuck yeah, man, good for that dude. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, like fast forward, I was part of the music scene at a place called Bar Four that was in Park Slope that no longer exists. Um, uh, it's now like a pizza place or something horrible oh. like that. Um, not that I don't, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love pizza. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> over music venues. But uh, the, we, there was a Tuesday night thing there that was like a Tuesday night open mic that was like everything. It, like the way that the New York scene went is like slowly people would gravitate from one place to another. And so the whole sidewalk scene, a whole swath of us kind of moved over to, uh, like we got tired of waiting until four o'clock to play. You know, we got tired of seeing the same people. We want to just open it up and find more people. So then we all started going to this open mic in Brooklyn. Also because this woman, Tanya Buziak ran it and she was like the coolest woman ever everyone was like tanya's just like everybody wants to hang out and party with tanya she's the best um <laughs> so we started going because we love tanya and um and larry that owned the bar was like so cool and they were real liberal with the drinks uh <laughs> you know uh like uh greg uh greg Twoey, who's who's like a um a, amazing guitar player uh he played in a band called seem so bright at the time that was like I, I heard them on the radio, like, but it, I didn't realize it was like internet radio or whatever, but I thought they were like, I thought they were like, you know, like Cardi B or something. I thought they were like the biggest band in the world. <laughs> I remember like going to bar four for the first time and Greg was bartending. I was like, yeah, what do you do? He's like, oh, I play, uh, um, I play a guitar in this band seems so bright. And I was like, wait a minute, how are you bartending? Like you should be like in a jacuzzi in a penthouse somewhere. Like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh no, man, that's. It's really not how it works, you know? <laughs> and, uh, oh my gosh. So anyway, we all started going there and it was like such a great scene. It, I mean, so many amazing friends, like lifelong friends, uh, you know, that I made at that bar. And, and in those times, it was so important to me to develop. That was where I did all the cheap or all the uh, early wakey wakey stuff. Like I debuted Brooklyn there. I debuted wow. War Sweater there. Like all those songs I played, that was the place where we would like go play them. Um, so we, uh, so I, I kind of had like a little bit of a lift off with Wakey Wakey where it was like, we did like a tour, just me solo with like my friend driving. Um, and it was like, 
we played in empty rooms to people across the East Coast. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, but it was like, it felt like something was happening. And we got to play at um, Bowery Ballroom, which was like, Wow. one of my all-time dreams of a place to play at. Yeah. Like, it's, like, just the coolest venue in the coolest city. And everyone that I thought was cool had played there. It was, like, a dream come true. And I got to open for a band there. And it was, like, yes, I've made it. Wow. Um, so I kind of, like, pulled back a little bit from going to open mics as much. But I always made a rule of myself where I was, like, you know, I'm always going to go check in, like, once a month at least if I can and, like, just see what's happening and, and you know just see everybody connect and like see who's coming up and you know who the new talents are and all that so i went and i was hanging i wasn't going to play and um then this woman came in that was like super pretty and i was like i want to talk to her but i'm too much of a chicken so i went <laughs> over to my friend nico who was running sound and i was like yo nico uh can you like slide me in next so i can uh you know like play and then i'll i'll, I'll be able to talk to this woman <laughs> he was like, and he was like, I got you, bro. So he like slid me in. Uh, Nico was the best. He would do Wookiee sounds from the from the booth. And I was always like, if you did a good song and you heard like a big Wookiee sound come from the back, you knew you'd like play well. So anyway, so Nico slides me in. So I get up and I play uh, War Sweater in Brooklyn. And I got off and I walked down to, uh, you know, casually like at the bar. And there's this woman there. Um, and her, her name is, uh, Shana and she turned out to be a writer on One Tree Hill. So I walk up to her and I had no idea. And I'm like, Hey, how's it going? And she literally like shut it down in one second. She was like, Hey, I know why you're coming to talk to me, but I know that you don't see it. Cause you're like a young guy in Brooklyn, but I have an engagement ring on that being said, I think you're really talented. And I think you'd be really cool for the television show that I work with. And I was like, and I was like, okay. <laughs> you oh know, whatever. Gosh. And there have been so many, like, like part of music, like part of living, like this thing is near misses. Like a, a large part is like wrapping your head around the fact that someone's going to be like, I can make you famous tomorrow. Like I can make you successful. Like I can make it so you don't have to bartend. I can do these things. And literally like 99 out of a hundred times, it's not going to happen. But it takes a long time to learn that it's not going to happen. And that, you know, there's like, it takes time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I kind of been burnt so many times. So I was like, yeah, sure you will. And she's like, I'm going to bring, you know, the creator of the show to this place to see you play. Um, can you come back like uh, two weeks from now and just do the exact same two songs the exact same way? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> uh, and then I left and I forgot about it and I didn't think about it again for two weeks. Um, <laughs> and I was like on a date with this uh, woman and I got a text from Shana being like, where are you? I'm here with Mark Schwann, the creator of One Tree Hill, and he came to see you play. Oh, <laughs> I was like, so I turned to the woman on the day with him, I'm like, hey, I think I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> and oh. she was really cool about it. She was like, that's so cool. Like, go do it, you know? <laughs> um, so I like went, you know, like sped over there and like played the songs and, and Mark was like, yeah, dude, let's, uh, let's put that song on the show. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's do this. Um, and I didn't think it was going to happen. And then, um, you know, it got to a point, like, obviously it's a long process from like, Hey, let's put that song on the show to the song actually being on the show and airing. Yeah. And it actually airing and it not getting cut 30 minutes before it goes to the camera or whatever, you know, like things happen all the time. And it was like the week before it aired. And I remember like calling my mom and being like, I don't think that I can do music anymore. 
like, I think I got to go like get a job at a bank or something. Cause it's wow. just like not working out. Like it, I was in my early thirties and I was like, I was just like, I don't, I don't have this anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, it's so hard. It's so tiring. And for like 10 years, you know, like every day I've been pushing. Um, and you know, my mom was like, I totally understand. Like you've done everything you can. You've tried so hard and I'm super proud of you no matter what. Um, and then a week later, war sweater was on one tree hill and the next day it was like um you know number one on the singer songwriter charts on itunes for a week and it was like whoa what the hell just happened you know um and then you know i think because that people reacted so well to that whenever the cast like whenever mark would come to new york or shana would come to new york for like press with the cast they would always bring them to where i bartended because I bartended at this place called Schiller's Liquor Bar, and it was like a cool bar. Um, so it was like, you know, there would always be like celebrities in there and stuff. It was wow. like a fun, a fun spot to to work. So they would always come there instead of the bar. And these kids, like the the cast of Montreal, are so funny because they all like, you know, they were like twenty, and they got moved to, you know, to Carolinas to, to Wilmington to like yeah. take this show, and they've been like sequestered you know what I mean, on that <laughs> island for like seven years at this point so they come to new york to this place and they're like they're like all a little bit shy you know and i tend to be kind of a big personality and talkative and everything so they're all kind of like huh and i'm like hey what do you guys want to drink and it's super busy it's always super busy there and they're all like uh and i was like you know what i got you i'll just make you guys drinks um i'm gonna make you stuff you're you're gonna love them and they're like okay so i went and just made all this crazy stuff for them and it was a really like really special cocktail bar so i could make like really good drinks for them wow so i made them all and like obviously marks in the back like taking notes the whole time um <laughs> and then, then when i finished the almost everything album uh he came to new york and heard it and he was like you know would you want to play a role on the show and we'll place all these songs on the show because it's like this album's you know should should get a little more eyes on it than you're capable of bringing to it um and uh i was like okay <laughs> am i gonna be a tv person now you know and then like like literally like a month later i got the call like hey can you get on a plane tomorrow here's oh a script my gosh and it was like okay cool so i <laughs> called my work and i was like hey i got a thing you know <laughs> like, and next thing you know, I got to quit bartending, and uh, that was the beginning of that roller coaster ride. And it was really, really crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Well. Thank goodness you were a young Brooklyn guy that didn't ring tech, or else maybe you wouldn't have uh, got up that night on for the open. I, I know, right? Can you believe it? Like it's all you know. I mean, yeah. It's it's a it's a really crazy story. I remember all of us sitting at. Um, like in Wilmington, like the, the whole cast like went out, we're all at this table and everyone is just talking about how crazy it is, what happened to me, you know? And like, I still am like too new to it all to process what is happening to me, you know? It was so weird. Um, you know, it's like a lightning strike, like it was really crazy. Um, and uh, and I remember them being like, right now there's like, there's kids that are gonna hear this story and go play at open mics in New York. So it's like, <laughs> try and like replicate this this you know timeline and then they're not gonna know how crazy it is you know like it's just so random and all because i like hit on that woman that was wearing a wedding ring that i didn't even <laughs> realize because i was just you know 
like I don't look at people's hands. Oh, that's so amazing. Well, well, I'm from Utah, so you early in college you have to start the ring check process because Got it. <laughs> most people are married by like 20. Yeah, I didn't know anyone that was married for so long. To think of that, I was like in my 30s, and it didn't even occur to me that someone might be married. You know, like it was, <laughs> it was like uh, you know Neverland. Like oh, that's. That's so funny. Well, well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I appreciate it so much. I have five questions that I ask at the end of every interview. Um, yeah. Number one is if you had to choose breakfast food, lunch food, or dinner food. Um, so a uh, food from that food group for every meal, which would you choose? Oh, man. So like one breakfast, one lunch, and one dinner? Yeah. So the Oh, bread... no, no. So, 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 so like only breakfast food, only lunch food, or only dinner food? Oh, man. In that case, I would go with only dinner food. Oh, okay. Because I love, like, I'm a barbecue guy. Oh, okay. I love barbecue, and I couldn't live without it. See, I always... Multiple smokers in my yard. <laughs> yeah, you, I know you like to grill, and so it's... Yeah. <laughs> um, um, no, so I didn't even think of barbecue. I choose breakfast because I'm like, you can still get pizza, you can still get, like, mm. steak with steak and eggs, but I'm like... Yeah. You don't get barbecue. So that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. uh, I love breakfast though. I made some bomb ass pancakes before this interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, number yeah. two is number two is your go-to karaoke song. Oh man. I like, I have a hard time with karaoke. I think a lot of singers do have a hard yeah. time with karaoke. Like, especially if you're like me and you have like a weird voice, you're not like a Broadway belter or whatever. <laughs> um, so typically, um, I do Love Shack by the B-52s. Oh, okay. um, like with the full uh, Fred impersonation and everything. Um, <laughs> and a lot of times my my uh, my partner now happens to be a wonderful singer. So she a lot of times will jump on and uh, and do the Love Shack part. Which there is you a go. Lot of fun. Yeah, that'll get a room going. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, number three is a guilty pleasure while on tour. Guilty pleasure while on tour. Um, I tell you, it's like, it's not the healthiest thing, but I love a Wendy's spicy fried chicken sandwich <laughs> with the uh, with the frosty and the French fries and you dip the French fries in the frosty. <laughs> okay, that's amazing. Um, number four is a band that's not currently together that you'd love to have one more EP from. Oh man, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, trying to think. <laughs> I mean, uh, so there was a, a band that no one, like not as many people knew called Lowry. Um, that was, uh, that was friends of mine. And I remember like falling in love with all of their stuff back in the day. And it would be really, really cool to have a, a Lowry album come out, but I don't know that they're going to do that again. So I'll okay. say Lowry. Yeah. They have, a, um, they have a beautiful album called love is dead that like never got the attention that it should. Okay. Well, I'll have to look it up and I'll add it to, to our playlists as well. Um, cool. Number five is who's an interesting guest that you think I should have on the road trip playlist podcast. Oh man. I don't know if you know Luke Wesley. He's like a good buddy of mine. He's like, he's like my best pal here in New York. But he uh, he and I are actually neighbors now. Oh um, wow! Yeah, we can like 
we can like see each other when we're in the backyard and like <laughs> yell things at each other, which during quarantine has been a lot of fun uh, <laughs> to talk over fences to each other. Uh, but he is a super talented songwriter, a super great storyteller, a lot of fun to talk to. So I would say like, talk to that, talk to that dude. And I'm happy awesome. to introduce you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Um, and so, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Is there, is there anything, sorry, I should ask like what's next. Um, is there anything that you're excited about that you would love, uh, to plug? Um, I mean, I think the cheap synth stuff right now is really kind of everything this year of putting out a song a week has been so much fun and it's just kind of you never know what you're gonna get so if you listen to a cheap synth song and it's like it doesn't totally resonate with you listen to the next one because there's so there's such a big swath of stuff and i think it's all based in like just good songwriting so um so ch check that out and see if you see if you dig that yeah, no, they're, they're fantastic. And I, and I have to recommend it for the listeners too, because it's one of my favorite things to pop up on my release radar every week. And so awesome. it's really great, especially during uh, lockdown. And so thank you so we much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. Awesome, man. It's been so much fun talking to you today. Thanks for, uh, thanks for inviting me to be on the podcast. Yes, no, it's, it's, I trust me. It was a big thrill for me. So thank you. Awesome, man. And thank you for all the kind words. I love it. Like, you know, the support it means everything. So I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Awesome. You too. Thanks. Right. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Road Trip Playlist podcast. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Wakey Wakey. I loved the stories he shared. His story of being cast on One Tree Hill is amazing. And so are the stories he told about the open mic nights in New York with Regina Spector and Gavin DeGraw and other talents like that. If you enjoyed this interview, please subscribe, rate, and review to the Road Trip Playlist podcast and stay tuned for another interview next week.